You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. It's good to be with y'all this morning. My name is uh, Tamarcus. For those of you who don't know, I'm one of the ministers here. I get the opportunity of serving and doing life with our young adults. Um, and so glad to, to be here. If you are new here, welcome. We're glad that you chose to worship with us. We've been praying for you and expecting you. Um, and those of you who are tuning in online, thank you for being here as well. And for those of you, especially like I say, if you're, you're new, what I'm assuming is um, you are walking into the middle of this series that we've called Wisdom and Wonder. Um, and fun fact for you guys, we've been in this series for a year now this weekend. Uh, yeah, still here, right? And what I'm sure that probably means is for a number of you, you're coming in or you've come in somewhere in between um, the start of the series and today. And for many of us, uh, like myself, we've been here for the whole ride. Um, but maybe you don't even remember what you ate for lunch yesterday. Uh, I know I don't. And so just as a, a brief review of where we've been, uh, I just want to give us a, a recap in the series, right? We started by defining uh, wisdom as living in God's world in God's way. Uh, we said that wisdom has a pace, it's slow, we grow wise over time. Wisdom has a posture, it's low, we grow wise not when we see life as a competition to win or when we try to control life, but when we humbly receive life as a gift and acknowledge God as the giver. Uh, wisdom also is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ, and we grow uh, wise in relationship with him, right? Uh, the wise aren't those who uh, look out of the window and are so afraid of the storms outside that they forget God, uh, nor do they look at false pictures of God and become fear, uh, afraid of him, but rather by seeing God for who he truly is as he's revealed himself in his word, they are uh, properly oriented to God with a fear of the Lord that moves them closer to him because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And along the way, we've considered uh, right, the different kinds of foolishness um, that can come out of us and that, uh, that can lead us away from wisdom. We've considered how wisdom uh, wants to speak into our lives and to the words we use, how we treat the vulnerable among us, um, and how we uh, are acting our relationships and, and so on and so forth. And so this morning, I want to take a pause and for all of us to be able to consider where we are now uh, after all that we've learned in our series. Uh, I got my undergrad in youth ministry and biblical studies at Moody Bible Institute. And I remember my first day of class, uh, being on campus, uh, I took a class called Ch The Church and Its Doctrines. Um, and I had this unfounded confidence that like, I kind of already knew what was gonna be talked about in class. Like, I got like, most of this is just gonna be review. You know, I've grown up in church, I know this stuff. And in walks my professor, Dr. Snyder, right? It's this old, stern, but like kind man. And he sits down and he kind of looks around for a second and he asks us a question. He says, what's the difference between a spirit and the soul? And I was like, never even thought about that in my entire life. Um, <laughs> and so went the remainder of my undergrad uh, career, right? I entered another class where I had unfounded confidence and left with more questions uh, than I had answers. And that just continued all the way up until graduation. And I remember right before I graduated, uh, a group of uh, folks who were on our, did our school newspaper, asked the seniors a question um, to tell their former selves, right, if you could go back and give your 
freshman self some advice, what would you say? And I remember saying something like this. I tell myself that you are not here to have professors merely validate what you already know, but to learn how much you still have to learn. Um, right, we're not in school to profess, uh, to, um, what do you want to call it, impress our professors. They already know much more than we do, but you're here to learn, to humble yourself and receive what they have from you. And here we are um, a year through our wisdom series. I've had the opportunity to preach several of them. Uh, like all of you, I've had the, the privilege of sitting under the teaching of them all. And as I've reflected from where we started to where we are today, um, what I've felt is that so little has changed uh, within me, or a lot less than I would have liked to have changed. And so over the past year, I found myself uh, thinking many times, like, you should be better than this by now. Or hearing a sermon and going home and feeling like, man, you ought to, like, I thought you would have, you know, gotten this by now. Or how could I still be so foolish in this particular area of my life, right? You hear the sermon on speech on Sunday, and then by Tuesday, I'm already using my words foolishly. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And maybe you felt some of that tension week in and week out, right? You desire to be wise. You come and we get to hear and learn from wisdom. And then life just continues to expose how far from it we are. Um, if that's you, I know that's me, then I want to invite you to ask this question of wisdom with me this morning. Um, if that's not you, please bear with the rest of us. Uh, we're going to ask this question of wisdom this morning. Um, and it's this, what does wisdom have to say to those who feel behind on the road towards wisdom? What would, what would wisdom say to those? How would it encourage those who are on the road to wisdom and feel like they're, they're far behind where they should be? Um, in the passage we just read together, we find an answer to that question. The wise sayings of Agur have the tenor of a soul that has um, endeavored to walk down the road of wisdom for the entirety of life um, and still feels like it has a long way to go. And this morning, um, I want to tease that out with just one point. Uh, I know that's like a you know, Baptist uh, no-go. It's supposed to have three, but I got one this morning. And we'll return back to it often as we continue through. But it's growing in wisdom is less about what we know and more about who we trust. Growing in wisdom is less about what we know and more about who we trust. And so as we worked our way through Proverbs, right, we've become accustomed to these uh, proverbial sayings that uh, help us towards wisdom and uh, keep us away from folly. And the kind of writings uh, make up the majority of the first 29 chapters, right? We've, we've kind of grown to understand how that works. And now here, right before the final chapter, which gives us this beautiful picture of wisdom personified, we are met with this oracle from Agur. We're only going to focus on the first few verses of his speech, but if you were to read the rest of the chapter in your own time, what you would find is not what you've become accustomed to, right? The nice kind of two pieces of wisdom. Happy is the one who always is reverent, but the one who hardens his heart falls into trouble, right? We're used to that kind of message. Uh, what you find with Agur is a lot of kind of strange observations about the world around us that actually expresses more of his pondering and, and thinking about what's going on in the world and in his own life and less about how much of it he already understands. And that starts at the very beginning of the chapter. Look with me again at verses one through three. It says, the words of Agur, son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. 
I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Can you read the, the book from beginning to end? There's a lot of things that would strike you as odd when you got to this chapter. But one thing that the honest reader would immediately resonate with is the humility of Agur. Here's a man who's been on the road towards wisdom for a long time. And in the end of verse one, he says, I'm weary, O God. I'm weary and worn out. Some translations render it, I have, I have wearied myself and come to my end. Right? I've, I've endeavored as much as I could, and I feel like I still have a long way to go. If you recall the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes, they start off with a similar sentiment, right? Like Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 14, uh, I'll paraphrase it, but essentially the preacher says, uh, I have applied myself to examine and explore through wisdom all that happens under the sun. And what I've found it to be is all of it is hevel, right? The preacher and Agar both embody the kind of person who has walked with wisdom for a while. They're now looking back and reflecting on all they've learned and all they've experienced in life. And where the preacher turns most of his attention outward to the things that we experience in life and the ways in which man is endeavored in the world, Agar starts off by turning inward, looking at himself and being self-reflective. And he says this in verses two and three, surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I the knowledge of the Holy One. And I remember reading this at first, right? At face value, this kind of feels self-deprecating, right? Or maybe even like a kind of false humility. I mean, come, come on, Agar, you're, you're a sage. Surely you're a wise man. Your words are recorded in the Bible. You can't be too stupid to be a man, Right? And besides, like, I'm, I'm hoping that you can give yourself more credit than that, because if you're too stupid to be a man, I don't want to know where that puts me, right? Uh, but he's, he's not self-deprecating, and it's not false humility. And the key to being able to see that is knowing, right, our point for today, growing in wisdom is not about what we know, but about who we trust. And you know who Agar does not trust? Himself. One of the primary markers of a fool in Proverbs is described as being wise in your own eyes. Proverbs 3, 7 tells us, do not be wise in your own eyes for the fear of the Lord, uh, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a person who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Agar is too acquainted with himself and too acquainted with wisdom to lean on his own understanding. Think about what Agar has already demonstrated for us this far in just these few verses. He has become weary and worn out on the road towards wisdom. He's been at it for a long time and feels like he has a long way to go. Why? His pace is slow. He's acknowledging his own foolishness. He's not arrogant and he's not comparing himself to others, but rather he looks honestly at himself and honestly at wisdom and he sees the divide between the two and it humbles him. His posture is low. What I love about this passage, and particularly that it comes from someone like Agar, someone that we would put high on the scales of the wisdom metrics, is that it, it just further bolsters um, and empowers the implications of these realities for us. Right. Uh, I've said this before. Uh, when I was a when I was a basketball coach, I got to take my team to a Texas Legends game. Most of them were very new to basketball and definitely new to professional basketball. And I wanted them to get the full experience. So we got there early and we got to see the team warm up. And immediately what all of my players 
started to notice was how much their warm-up routine resembled our warm-up routine. They were like, coach, coach, they're doing the same stretches we do. And I was like, yep, yep, that's, that's where we got it from. And then they were like, and look, they do layup lines, except they can dunk the ball and we're you know, still trying. <laughs> but I'm like, yep, they're doing, they're doing layup lines, right? And so on and so forth. They just kept doing all these things almost exactly to our warm-up drills uh, to a T. And what that showed my players was that all of the things that I and the other coaches were trying to show them weren't just things that were reserved for kids or for new basketball players, but it was for basketball players. Basketball players need the fundamentals and the basics. Um, and if it wasn't below the pros to do these things, then it definitely isn't below them. And here, Agar the Sage reveals to us that a slow pace and a low posture isn't just for those beginning in wisdom at the start until they figure it out on their own, but rather it is the way of the wise from beginning to the end, right? And if this wasn't beneath him, the sage, then surely none of us will be beneath these experiences that Agar is feeling himself again. He doesn't lean on his own understanding. And what I love is his reflection starts inward, but he doesn't stay inward to find the solutions. He starts to turn his gaze out and up, and he encourages his readers to do the same. And he does so with a series of questions. Look at verse four. He says, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in a garment? Who has established all of the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Here, Agur shifts his focus and his readers with these questions, and it's meant to turn our gaze towards one person, and that's God. This line of questioning is used uh, often throughout the scriptures, and we find it particularly in another wisdom book uh, of Job. You remember Job's story, right? He's a faithful man, and through testing, he loses his health, his children, and his wealth, um, and he has a series of conversations with friends that don't tend to really help his uh, situation much. And by the end of the book, he has this confrontation with God that's a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit confronting. But in the end, it actually helps him and directs him in the ways that he needs. And God asks him a similar line of questioning in Job 38. He says, where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimension? Certainly, you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? What supports its foundation or who laid its cornerstone? You hear what God is trying to see us show Job. And you hear what Agur is trying to show us. Both of these lines of questioning are meant to lead us to one conclusion, that there is a kind of knowledge and there is a kind of wisdom that belongs to God and God alone. It's a matter of authority. The one who can answer these questions, the one who has peeked into the heavens, the one who has come down, only the one who could say, yes, I know that I did that. I've done these things is fit to answer the question. And he's, and he's saying, it's not me and it's not you. It's God. Why? Because wisdom is not synonymously assigned to God and us the same. Omniscience belongs to God. Full comprehension and understanding belongs to him, not us. And this is just another assurance that growing in wisdom isn't about how much we know, but about who we trust. Because if our progress in wisdom is based on what we can know, then the ceiling is really low. But if it's based on who we trust, then it's infinite because we can never exhaust the depths 
of God. We can continue to grow in the knowledge of him and in communion with him for the rest of our lives, even on to the other side. And look at where Agar, right, knowing these things, where he ultimately finds his trust and where he does find his comfort in verse five. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Church, do you see Agar's wisdom in the text? Every word of God proves true. He says earlier, I have not learned wisdom, right? I'm not wise. I can't do this on my own. Who could? And then later proclaims, but every word of God proves true. What we have here in Agar's writings is not an example of an ignorant sage, but a normal picture of what it looks like to be found on the road towards wisdom. And we all, all of us, if we endeavor to move towards wisdom, the road will look similar to this. Um, there's a picture that's come on the screen in just a second. Uh, when I was a teacher, I used to draw this image on the board uh, for my students um, to describe to them what spiritual maturity can look like and feel like. And I most of the time didn't draw really well, so they would make fun of the drawing. Um, but luckily, Yessie is a much better artist than I am. So she made it beautiful for you guys. Um, but I would, I would show them this, and it, it correlates still to what it looks like to grow in wisdom, right? Because typically we correlate maturity in life as a growth towards independence, not dependence. So if you think about almost every other area in life, right, when you grow from being a newborn to a toddler, like you can walk by yourself, you can eat by yourself, right? If potty training is going well, you can you do that by yourself. And then you get to high school and you can drive and you get a little bit more independent. And then you, you know, get out after college and you live on your own and you pay your own bills and you, right, do all of these things. But we trend towards being able to do things by ourselves. And spiritual maturity, growing in wisdom, is the opposite of that. We don't trend towards independence. We trend towards dependence. So the more you grow in the wisdom of God, the more you understand his glory and his majesty and how above uh, his ways are than our ways, the more acquainted we become with our depravity, with our foolishness, and um, just the brokenness in the world. And what that does is it enlarges in our, in our minds and in our eyes our need for the cross and for the gospel, ultimately for God himself. And it's not that in the, in the beginning, right, that we didn't think we needed God, um, but it's, it's maturing in it, right? And so there's a, there's a way that we feel our need for God where it's like, yeah, you know, I got this. I think about when I got saved as a child. It's like I have this sin issue and I need God to help me here. And if he would just help me here, then I'd be okay. And then, then he pulls back the layers and I'm like, oh, it's deeper. And it's like, well, if he could just help me here, then I'll be okay. And it just gets deeper and it's deeper and it's deeper until we realize more and more of the fullness of how, how much we need him. Because we need him more than we could ever imagine. We need him more than we could ever imagine. But the more we grow in the wisdom, the more we understand our own foolishness, our imagination starts to catch up to that reality. And here's, here's the thing. This is why some of the most godly people that we know, that you know, say things like what Paul said in, in, in his writings, that I'm, I am the chief of sinners, or Agar here, that I am too stupid to be a man, right? It's not a false humility, but it's a true maturity, right? Wisdom's pace is slow. Wisdom's posture is low, but both of those without wisdom's person, right, is just a slow, uncomfortable way towards foolishness. And this is what we learn the longer we walk with God, right, is that it's, 
He is the central point of all of this. It's growing in depth of relationship with him. And this helps us remember our aim, which is important because without a proper aim, uh, there is a, a, a slight uh, chance that we could be led to believe that what we need in growing in wisdom is growing in this kind of independence where we know how to make decisions and choose good for ourselves. We might think that if we just possessed a little bit more knowledge or another podcast or read one more book or learn a few more strategies, then we'd be able to figure out how to discern good in our lives on our own. But hear me, what we need most is not just more Proverbs, not just more of the Proverbs. What we need most is more of God himself. Right. Hear hear me clearly. What I'm not saying is we don't need God's word. We definitely need God's word. It's a light unto our feet. It's a lamp unto our path. The Bible says that it is God-breathed and it is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and prepared for every good work. This is true. That's why we love the Bible at Citizens Church. Shout out to the Bible class. You should still sign up. It's not too late. Um, But hear me. The words of wisdom without the person of wisdom is like the temple in the book of Nehemiah, right? It can be grand and it can be shiny, but without God's presence, it lacks power. We need God himself. And so the goal for us from the beginning of this series till now has not been that we would become a bunch of smart people, right? So that we could figure it out on our own. But unlike our first parents, Adam and Eve, we're not trying to discern good and evil on our on our own. But growing in wisdom looks like us being the kind of people who say, God, we always need you to tell us what we should and shouldn't eat. I'll never be too grown for you to tell me what I need and what I don't need. Because the reality is life is far too wonderful for any of us. Right. We can't navigate it on our own. I know that I can't. Um, even in preparing for this sermon, what I, what I felt over and over again was, you know, reflecting through the many sermons that we've heard before this and just realizing how inadequate I feel to walk into so many of those things, right? Like what I wanted wisdom to do in a lot of ways was like, oh, now I, now I know so I can do better. And really what it did was it exposed all the ways that I wasn't meet, meeting the bill, right? And so I felt like, man, being a minister is too wonderful for me. I can't do this by myself. Uh, Being a a good husband and a good father is too wonderful for me. So is being a good son and a good friend, right? And all the other things God has given me to do and to be. And the truth is, is in so many ways, this sermon wrote me before I wrote it. And what I found in Agar was this encouragement and a reminder of the power of the gospel in the life of believers. Every word of God is true. And that not only speaks to the reliability and the trustworthiness of God's word, but its efficacy in our lives, even when the circumstances don't feel like it or when we ourselves don't feel like it. It's why we can come in in the morning, no matter what life has brought, and we could say things like, we are your church, we are your people. Even when we don't feel like it, if you belong to Christ, that's true about us. Friends, that means that when you feel less than wise and more like fools, If we are found in Christ and we put our refuge, we find our refuge in him, then what is true for you, despite how you feel, is 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who puts 
their hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. What does that look like? It looks like growing in wisdom with the person of wisdom. As we hope in him by his grace and through the same spirit that raised him of the de- from the dead, we are being purified day after day, made into his likeness, growing in wisdom. What's also true about you, friend, is Philippians 1, 4 through 6, where Paul says, in every prayer for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In Christ, you have been made a child of God now. That has happened. That is true, even when it doesn't feel like it. And God is continuing to form you into a child of God until the day that he returns. You are not behind, right, when you feel as though your, your wisdom and your actions aren't lining up with who God says you are. You are feeling the normal tensions of a person who belongs to God and is wrestling in the in-between. A better marker of our progress then, some better questions for us to ask of ourselves as we continue through wisdom is, do I need him more today than I thought I did yesterday? Do I trust him more today than I did yesterday? Right? Do, I, do I see my need? Do I see, do I see my foolishness for more clearly than what it is? That it's not just my actions, it's not just a thought, that it goes down to my very depths, that it's not just about how it affects the person in front of me, it goes to how it affects all of the people around me, and even outside of all of the people, the things that I feel like are just secret and hidden, that it offends a holy God. Do you understand better the depths of our depravity and brokenness? Does that increase your need for the cross? If your answer to questions like that is yes, be encouraged. It's what growing in wisdom feels like, and it is the the wisest thing any of us could ever do. If your answer to questions like that is no, if you feel as though you have transgressed to a life of trusting in self and growing towards independence rather than dependence on God, and that breaks your heart, be encouraged. Just as we read earlier in Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a person who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Admitting our foolishness and looking to God is one of the wisest things that we could do. The good news for all of us is that there is hope for the fool who puts his trust in Jesus Christ. So here's what I want us to do, right? Let's, let's look to him this morning. Uh, Look to the one who is wise. Look to the one who is completing and doing a good work in us. Uh, Let's do so now in prayer and then we'll continue in worship. Father God, what we need most, what I need most in this life is more of you. Lord God, more of your presence. more of your power, Lord God. Lord God, we all re- just repent this morning of, of any area of our life where we've had the audacity to think that we could, we could navigate it or figure it out on our own. Lord God, would you, would you show us and lead us on the way of wisdom and help us to see that you are our daily bread, Lord God, that we need you every hour. 
We are dependent upon you for life. We are dependent upon you for direction. Lord God, most of all, we are dependent upon you for salvation. Lord God, would you, would you walk with us? Would you help us to be gracious to ourselves the way you are gracious towards us? Lord God, a, a good shepherd who gently pastors his sheep from where they are to where you would have them be. Will we be patient on the journey? Will we remain near to you as we journey? Knowing that the things that you are working on and working out within us, you will bring to completion. Father, I love you. We love you. We need you. Would you fill us and be with us now? See your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.